Hi, everybody. This is Christian Cison of Lois Law Firm. I'm coming to you live from the Kill Room. And my guest today for the Third Friday's podcast is Chris Major. Welcome to the show, bud. Thank you for having me back. And you say back because you were on last month's podcast. Um, we talked about liability. Right, with waivers and, and contracts and how that works out. Uh, how does it feel to be the first consecutive guest on the show? I, I am deeply honored and I intend to celebrate. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, as you guys know, uh, Chris is uh, an attorney here at Lois Law Firm as well. Uh, today we're going to be talking about liens again and specifically with regard to loss transfer. Um, I know that Greg Lois is patiently waiting to become a guest on the show. If we do have some time, we'll bring him in. Chris, let's talk about Article 51 of the New York Insurance Law. We did a lot of Jersey stuff last week, but uh, we'll transition to New York and, and tell us a little bit about that particular statute. Okay, so here's um, here's sort of the broad strokes overview of how this works in the context of workers' compensation. Um, you know, there's a liable third party uh, in the accident in which the worker gets injured. You have your standard Section 29 lien, ordinarily. In situations where there are motor vehicle accidents, however, uh, New York Insurance Law Sections 5102 and 5104 collectively operate to create this uh, sort of, let's just call it a 50K carve-out. So um, if the comp carrier has paid out $100,000 in comp benefits, but it's in a motor, their, uh, their employee was injured in a motor vehicle accident, for the purposes of the Section 29 lien, uh, they can only recover $50,000. Um, but there are some – the statutes are pretty specific, though, about when certain um, payments are lienable and when uh, the insurance law actually applies. So that's, that's really interesting because typically we're used to seeing this $50,000 as a magic number, right? It's, it's almost as if we take that number and start taking uh, the lien cent for cent, dollar for dollar after that number has been exhausted. But we're here to figure out what we can do within that zero to $50,000 number and what we can do for our clients, right? And I think a good place to start is looking at uh, Insurance Law 5102A2 itself, uh, which is just about the definitions of uh, basic economic loss, first-party benefits, uh, where the whole 50K carve-out comes from. So we should note first that it does not apply this 50K carve-out to loss of earnings in excess of $2,000 a month. So... Um, I believe the maximum temporary total disability rate is eight hundred seventy or, or so, Christian. Right, eight hundred seventy dollars and sixty one cents per week, and obviously, if you just multiply that by four, you're going to be go over that threshold. But uh, that particular number is not uh, applicable in every case, right? It depends on how much you make and how how disabled you are to, in order to get to that number. Right, and it, if you call it, uh, let's just say for ease of argument's sake, eight hundred dollars a week, eight sixteen twenty four thirty two, you have thirty two hundred a month being paid in lost earnings. Uh, Two thousand of that uh, goes straight to this fifty k carve out. Um, 
the latter 1200 is straight lienable for the purposes of Section 29. That's just an ordinary Section 29 lien. Now, there's another exception, which is payments uh, more than three years removed from the accident. But uh, as we discussed, uh, we don't see that applying in very many scenarios, correct? Right, because, you know, usually three three years after a claim has been uh, initiated or an accident has occurred, you're more likely going to have passed that 50K threshold anyway. But I think what's important with that $2,000 number is it's our first indication that we can't take this $50,000 magic number uh, as the exact carve-out in every case. If you have a guy who's making a total disability or who's on total disability, he's going to go in excess of that number and that number is going to be within zero to 50 but it is eligible for a section 29 lien recovery so that's the first thing we want to talk about make sure that we know exactly what we're paying for between zero and 50 to make sure that we can still recover it right with regards with regard to lost earnings specifically um and any amounts in excess of two thousand dollars a month we just have a straight up section 29 lien on which we like because that's that's simple and easy to get a hand on uh unlike this very nerdy topic we're diving into um so we also want to make sure that just because it's a motor vehicle accident doesn't mean that lost transfer or this carve out really applies right because if we have a motor vehicle accident outside of New York, we're not, we're not in this uh, discussion. Right. And uh, case law is pretty clear on that. Um, the case that leads the way in that regard is McHenry versus State Insurance Fund. Uh, it's a decision by the third department, um, basically borrowing some language from the case. Uh, the court held that absent an express statutory provision, a worker's compensation carrier has the, quote unquote, inviolable right to a lien against the proceeds of any recovery obtained by a compensation claimant in a third-party action. So the terms of Insurance Law 5104 itself actually say uh, negligent operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. And these cases, uh, McHenry, there's one O'Forey versus Green, which is about a New Jersey accident. Um, these cases, uh, Insurance Law 5104 is not going to be given this extraterritorial effect. You know, the state of New York is not going to purport to regulate other states' insurance schemes. You know, and that, that does kind of make sense, right? Because then we're talking about uh, invoking almost the Commerce Clause here yeah. back to law school. Please no. Where, where we talk about uh, states getting uh, uh, involved with each other and the uh, whole uh, diversity of citizenship. But, you know, that's, that's a long ways away from workers' comp. We don't have to worry about that. Let's, let's transition now to what we can do with the 0 to 50K if we can't recover it in Section 29. What is our remedy, Chris? Well, I think we should um, note as well that uh, there's not – a lot of uh, statutory or, or case law basis for this, but um, there seems to be some support for the idea that a compensation carrier is not liable for this blanket 50k carve out. Um, rather, it's intent. The first 50k is supposed to be computed. Uh, just, this is just based on some cases you and I have looked at. Uh, Heitner versus Geico. That's a decision by the Supreme Court in Nassau County. Uh, just to warn all you Lexus users out there, if you pull up that case, 
It's going to say there's negative subsequent appellate history. Do not worry about that. Um, the New York Court of Appeals overturns the appellate division's decision and basically adopts the judge's decision from the Supreme Court of Nassau County wholesale. Um, but what they, arrive to, what they arrive at, essentially, is that um, this 50K number is not intended to be paid solely by the workers' compensation carrier. Uh, instead, it's supposed to be a combined pool of first-party benefits paid as a result of the accident. Um, it's not going to make a huge difference in terms of this 50K carve-out, but it's important to note that it's not just this blanket takeaway from the carrier's Section 29 lien. <clears throat> okay, so um, what 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 should we be telling our clients uh, as a in how to essentially uh, assess the benefits that are paid from zero to 50 and how to recover them if they can? So just looking at the cases here, um, you know, the statutes say that basic economic loss is certain expenses and lost earnings up to $50,000. Now, first-party benefits are defined as payments for basic economic loss, less certain set-offs. Uh, and these cases that we're talking about, um, Normiel versus Allstate Insurance Company, Heitner versus Geico, uh, they basically arrive at the point that um, the statutes read in conjunction um, arrive at a conclusion where an injured person is entitled to receive first-party benefits equal to basic, basic economic loss up to 50000 less the statutory deduction set forth in New York insurance law. So basically, I mean, what it comes down to is we're going to have to look at the sources of the lost earnings for uh, the injured employee. Uh, how much is he getting from his no-fault benefits? Uh, the contract is obviously going to be different. How much is he getting from the workers' compensation wage rate schedules, which uh, are obviously fixed? Uh, you know, so it, it's going to require a bit more of a personalized attention to each case uh, as opposed to just saying, hey, it's a motor vehicle accident. There goes $50,000 of our Section 29 lien. Right, and that's where I'm headed, right? So once we figure out that uh, there is a portion of that 0 to 50 that is recoverable under Section 29, now we move to what can we do to recover the portion that isn't? recoverable in section 29 because usually what happens is we take fifty thousand and one cent above and we go to the third party case but we right. want to figure out from zero to 50 if we can add to that and then also loss transfer right we even though it's not recoverable under section 29 we can now go through the mandatory arbitration and i say mandatory because every insurer in the state of new york is already signed up for this process, right? You, you can't contract out of mandatory arb arbitration. Well, actually, I, you can contract out of it, but if you don't say anything, you're not, you haven't waived loss transfer. Right. right? You're required to submit to this uh, arbitration dispute, and I believe uh, the designated forum is uh, arbitration forums is the, uh, is the venue. But, uh, yes, it's mandatory for insurance companies operating within the state of New York. Now, it's much harder. It's much harder to get this loss transfer back to you as the comp carrier because there are requirements, right? right. We have a weight requirement, which means that the vehicle involved in the motor vehicle accident has to be at least 6,500 pounds. Now, 
that's a lot. I mean, even on months and months where I don't work out, I, 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 I don't, I don't reach that, uh, as bad as I may get. But I was looking up weights of different cars and I actually saw that a Cadillac Escalade, you know, the car that I really wanted in high school because all the, like the rappers were driving it, uh, a Cadillac Escalade is less than 6,000 pounds. Right. And, and it's important to know too, that, uh, the 65, 6,500, 6,500, however you want to call it, uh, weight requirement. This has to be with the vehicle, uh, as they say in the statute, unladen. So uh, if you have a tractor trailer, if you have a tractor trailer, you're not counting the weight of the trailer. It's literally just the cab. Right. I so, also can't just add like bricks to in the trunk. Right. If I'm near the near the weight limit, just to get over, it's got to be the vehicle itself. That's a good point. But you can also see where that where it, it sort of narrows down where loss transfer is going to apply based on the weight requirement, right? In in the sense that um, if you have a big vehicle, uh, a bus that's well, not a bus that's transporting people around. That's the livery requirement, which we're going to get to. But uh, if it's something that's not your standard, you know, uh, SUV, uh, you really should be looking into the VIN, the certificate of origin, a weight certificate, uh, the red book, blue book information. All of this stuff will help you find out how much that vehicle weighs unladen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an exceptional vehicle. It's not going to be, you know, the average car that people are driving around Manhattan. Right. So think about, you know, companies now that uh, are using Uber or Lyft to kind of transport uh, goods from one place to another. That's never usually going to meet the 6,500-pound requirement. That's kind of like a practical application now because Uber is so easy. But we're talking about uh, your typical contracted vans, trucks, uh, you know, the the, the semis that are really, really going to push that 6,500 pound weight requirement right and, uh, and i'm glad you brought up the uh the uber topic because um well maybe you want to do the segue into the uh the next one the livery requirement um go ahead chris oh all right I'll, well i'll take over here so uh the livery requirement is um and we should note too that uh it doesn't actually have to be uh the vehicles involved in suit uh that make the case subject to loss transfer if any of the vehicles involved qualify, you're talking loss transfer, and you're talking getting that 50k back from the insurance carrier for the libel defendant tortfeasor, the driver that caused the accident. That's where the workers' compensation carrier is going to get their 50k or close to it back via intercompany loss transfer. But um, it, it, it's important to note that the third vehicle doesn't even have to be named in the claim. Uh, it just one of the ve- if one of the vehicles qualifies under the weight requirement or livery requirement, you're good to go on the loss transfer front. Now the livery requirement. Um, Wait, are you saying that if we do have just a regular car, maybe they should just run into a truck? Well, I mean, then you're ta- then you're the responsible tortfeasor. So I, mean, uh, I can't trick you at all, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I can't no, I, trick you at I, all. I don't advise playing bumper cars in in Midtown Manhattan, just for anyone listening out there. Um, but the livery requirement, we have the transportation of persons or property for hire. Now, this is, uh, this is key, some of the interpretation about it, because the vehicle has to be shown to be used primarily as a livery vehicle and not simply on the date of the accident. So there's a strong argument, and I, I, to my understanding, this has not been litigated yet, 
that uh, an Uber would not qualify because uh, this person's using their car for everyday use. Uh, and it just so happens that, you know, they t- they're on the clock, they're running somebody to and fro, they get in an accident. I don't know that that's a livery vehicle. Taxi cabs, buses, of, of course they are. Um, Unless, but- I mean, you could you could litigate that, right? Like you could uh, actually litigate that issue as to whether, you know, for example, maybe the driver specifically bought that car to be an uber driver right right so that might be that might satisfy the delivery requirement but we're getting into yeah uh, uh, really really the 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 crazy parts of this claim usually uh it's going to be obvious uh if you're making a four hire uh i guess a four it's a four hire vehicle Right. For purposes of that specific requirement, right, and and we should note again, it's not just transportation of persons; it's transportation of persons or property. So Uber Eats, yeah. So Uber <laughs> Eats, absolutely. Um, but as always, there's an exception. It's not just somebody driving products to and fro. Um, when they say for hire, they mean for hire. Uh, it needs to be a vehicle like akin to these third-party transportation companies, uh, FedEx, UPS, uh, any of those. If you have a bakery um, that gets its that's delivering bread to uh, you know a buyer, a restaurant, a pizza place, uh, and that just happens to get into the accident, well, that's not a vehicle for hire transporting property. That's just somebody operating in the ordinary course of their business and moving bread from point A to point B. So uh, we should emphasize again uh, how narrow this application of loss transfer is um, with these two requirements. There aren't going to be a lot of cases that qualify, but if there are, uh, it's important for our clients' reimbursement purposes because we can get most of this 50K back, hopefully via loss transfer, and then there's anything beyond this 50K, there's the Section 29 lien the standard reimbursement statute. I think it's also important, too, uh, you mentioned that bakery example. Uh, using you know, a company vehicle uh, and getting out of that uh, requirement kind of makes sense because you're not necessarily paying uh, first-party benefits for uh, – or, or you're not paying uh, benefits that would have been first-party. Uh, so it's important to understand exactly when loss transfer will apply. And obviously through our discussion, uh, it may not apply in most cases, right? Right. So the real important purpose of this topic here today is to find out what from 0 to 50, you know, like we said, is actually recoverable under Section 29, right? right. So we want to think about anything that the no-fault carrier paid or – Anything that we paid over $2,000 in the first month, right? right. Or, or in any month, right? Right. And we're going to be looking at this combination of um, first-party benefits from all sources in reaching this 50K. And, uh, you know, we, we would caution people to be careful in just assuming that if you have a motor vehicle accident where a worker gets hurt um, – you know, we would caution you against just saying, hey, there goes $50,000 of our Section 29 lien. Uh, it's going to be comprised of first-party benefits from all sources, which is going to require a very sort of nitty-gritty diving into, you know, what what contracts this is coming from, what insurance agreements. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at how you get from that zero to 50 um, 
and in that 50k uh, payments in excess of two thousand dollars a month are straight lienable those go those go right to a section 29 lien uh, we should be keeping them mentally in a separate kitty you know just adding them up as a section 29 reimbursement case on their own um, and then once you get to the 50k anything in excess of that is obviously straight lienable for the purposes of section 29. Right. So what we have here is a good defend from day one example. Uh, that $50,000, depending on the type of case, can be exhausted fairly quickly, right? You know, right. we're talking about a high wage earner. If we're talking about someone uh, who needs surgery, uh, emergency emergency kind of procedures that will move you up to that threshold, you know, uh, very quickly, you want to be proactive and make sure that everything within that 50 is recoverable uh, to the, the greatest extent. And you can see where, where certain cases, uh, an automatic red flag should be going up. For instance, um, the, the example we were talking about earlier with somebody who just so happens to be uh, temporary totally disabled and is collecting the maximum under the statute, you know, you have this uh, 3200 being paid, twelve, uh, assuming a payment of $800 a week, which is not the maximum. Um, but you, you have this 3200 being paid, 1200 of that should be assumed to be a Section 29 lien per month. Uh, the other 2000 goes towards this 50K carve-out. But you can see how certain cases... Uh, just based on the facts, alarm bells should be going off. Right. That's a that's a great point, Chris. Actually, because typically uh, we usually counsel our clients not to automatically pay the total rate because if they may not they, they may not have medical evidence for that period, uh, they may not necessarily be treating for the right uh, body parts. Uh, in in essence, that would lead to a total disability finding. So what we want to make sure is. You can actually make that payment if those facts of the case would contribute to a loss transfer issue um, or otherwise allow for greater recovery under Section 29. Uh, those are things to keep in mind. If you're going to make the voluntary uh, payments without prejudice to the claimant, you want to get up over that 2000 number so that, that first, a big chunk of that first 50K is recoverable. Right, and and we're going to, um, as we were talking about earlier, it's just going to require a little more personalized attention per case, you know, to dive into the actual mathematics of it, which, you know, you talk to any lawyer they went to law school to avoid explicitly, um, but it's going... Not the ones here, right? Or not <laughs> no, the ones no. in the kill room right now. No, no, we, we, we love our calculators here at Lois, um, but... Yeah, it's going to require diving into the facts of the case, looking at what's being paid, who it's being paid by, um, and what's straight lienable. Uh, I don't actually think lienable is a word, but it is for the purposes of this discussion. What is a Section 29 lien payment? What is part of this 50K carve-out? And whether or not the comp carrier even needs to pay the full 50K. Right. So... That uh, kind of finishes our discussion on it. Uh, Chris, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Um, this is a very, very rare scenario where we would have to do this kind of deep dive. But that's what the purpose of this podcast is, everybody. We want to tackle the high-level issues in workers' compensation. And, you know, obviously loss transfer arbitration is not something that we typically do. Uh, in in every case, obviously, you know it's got to be a motor vehicle accident in New York with a 6,500 pound weight requirement with delivery vehicles for hire. But this is the type of case that 
is going to come across your desk at some point, and we want to make sure that we're prepared. So, Chris, thanks again for coming on. Uh, This is Christian Cison reminding you guys to defend from day one.